invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14. I want to share a message with you this morning that I've titled, On the Road Again. And you're welcome for those of you who will have that Willie Nelson great tune stuck in your head the rest of the day. That was my goal in coming here. And if you were like, I wasn't going to have it done, it's stuck in my head. Now that I mentioned it, you are. You're welcome. Acts chapter 14. If uh, you ever like gotten into the middle of a movie halfway when it's done and and you kind of uh, you miss the plot, you miss the storyline, you you miss the development. I know some shows, some series. Manny and I were watching at some point, and uh, it had been a few weeks since we watched it, and and uh, we inadvertently jumped ahead. We didn't know we were ahead about three episodes, but we got to that episode and we were just like, who are these people? Why are they here? Where they come from? You know, we just uh, uh, they shouldn't have been there. Well, if, if you're new here today, you may feel a little bit like that uh, at, at the outset because we have spent now 23, this is our 23rd week that we've spent in the book of Acts. And, and I know some of you were thinking if the message series is titled Sent, surely they ought to be there by now, but, but, but they are getting there. They are in the process of that. Uh, but uh, if, if this is your first Sunday, you might, you might be thinking, well, where is the storyline? Where is the character development? Lucky for you, for you I can, uh, can kind of summarize that uh, before we jump into it. I know you're thinking, Pastor, you're going to summarize 23 sermons or 22 sermons in just uh, 45 minutes. Uh, yeah, I can do it. I think I can. Uh, but I think I can quickly bring us to where we find ourselves today. Uh, the book of Acts is about the church. It's about uh, Jesus empowering his church to, to live on mission, to do what he's called them to do and to, to carry the gospel to the ends of the earth. And you see God doing that. It covers a period of about 30 years. The first three decades of the original, the OG church is right here in the book of Acts. And, and as you move to the book of Acts, there is a very significant thing that happens. The, 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 the Lord grabs a hold of a man whose name is Saul, and he saves that man Saul, and and Saul will later change his name to his Latin name, Paul, and the apostle Paul becomes the greatest missionary that has ever walked the face of this earth, Uh, one of the the greatest men, servants of God uh, that we see used of God to do great things for God. And by the time we get to Acts chapter 14, Paul is on his his first missionary journey. In fact, there's a map that you can see that shows you at the end of Acts chapter 13, this is where Paul has gone. He started over here in in Antioch of Syria, and he's gone down through uh, the the island of Cyprus, and he's he's gone up now into a new region around uh, around Galatia, where he's taking the gospel. And that's where uh, it brings us to Acts. Acts chapter 14. Let's look at Acts chapter 14, then I'll show you how he is on the road once again. Acts chapter 14 says, Now at Iconium they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. 
Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles when an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them. They learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia and to the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. Now at Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul, looking intently at him, and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways, and he did not leave himself without witness. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. And having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. That means they left him for dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, to Iconium, and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they continued, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commanded to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they had arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. So you saw where they were as chapter 13 ended. But now look at chapter 14. Look at where all they go after that. Man, you talk about being on the road again. They just go from one town to the next, and they stay there and preach, and they go to the next town, and then they circle back through all the towns to come back to where they first started, for, start, started at. And then when they come back to Antioch at Syria, they have made, uh, I wouldn't say full circle, because that's anything but a circle, but they had been on that road so much, and this concludes... Not the sermon, don't get too excited. This concludes at the end of chapter 14 what we call the first missionary journey of the Apostle Paul. Now looking 
at all their travels in this chapter, looking at how they get on the road again over and over and over and over again in this chapter, this provides us an opportunity to stop and to look not so much at what they did as we do who they are. Because you see, here is what I really hope you grasp at the outset, is that what they do is fueled by who they are. There are attitudes that Paul and Barnabas embrace in this chapter. And those attitudes, that's what causes them to do what they did. And I think this morning, if we will, if we will study, I'm going to mention three of such attitudes to you this morning, that I, I, if we will ask God to give us the same attitude, if we'll ask God to give us the same passion, if we'll ask God to give us the same burden that Paul and Barnabas had, I think it will lead us to do some of the same actions that they did. So let me bring to your attention briefly this morning three such attitudes that we see in Paul and Barnabas. First is this, they were bold in their declaration of the gospel. Paul and Barnabas both were very bold in their declaration of the gospel. If you remember last week, and I know it's tough to to recall some things, but if, if you remember from last week how things ended in the city they were in last week, the persecution was so intense that they were driven out of the district they had to leave. And that persecution, if you remember, that persecution was instituted by some Jews in the Jewish synagogue of the city where they were. What do they do in chapter 14? They go right back, not to the same city, to a different city, but they go right back to a synagogue, once again, the same setting that caused them grief in the first place. They go right back into that context, back at another Jewish synagogue, speaking the truth of the gospel. Even, according to verse 12, even when the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against Paul and Barnabas. Verse 3 tells us they remained for a long time, don't miss the language in verse 3, speaking boldly for the Lord. They get run out of Iconium. They go to Lystra, to Derby, the surrounding areas. Verse 7 tells us there they continue to preach the gospel. There's no question about it. Paul and Barnabas were bold as they proclaimed the gospel. Now here's what I want you to, to, to focus in on as we think about this aspect of their boldness in proclaiming the gospel. Something gave them that boldness. Something caused them to go, you know what? We must be bold in declaring this gospel. And and what gave them that boldness is the same thing that will give us the boldness that we need. So if you're thinking to yourself, well, I'm not a very bold person. This this doesn't apply to me. Sorry, it does apply to you because you need to be a bold person in declaring the gospel. And so what calls them to do this can cause us to. See, as I look at this, what I see is that Paul and Barnabas boldly declared the gospel because they anticipated an opportunity. See, there's a reason that they're going to these synagogues first. 
It's, it's not like they're the first spot on their list to visit and they just happen to cross it first or pass it first. There's a specific reason. Paul, in his life as Saul, Paul was a Jewish Pharisee. Synagogues were required to allow Paul to come in because he was a Jew. He was a pretty influential guy. His reputation, I'm sure, preceded him to various places, but the fact that he was Jewish Pharisee opened the door for him to go into the synagogues to preach and to teach who Jesus is. I want you to recognize and to realize this morning that God has given you opportunities as well. That God has opened doors for you to share with others what Jesus has done for you. Your door, your opportunity, maybe simply inviting someone to church. We do this 52 times a year. Your opportunity may be inviting someone to church. You may work in the medical profession, and, and, and in your role in that medical profession, you've got people who are going through valleys, and, and God may be opening that door for you to speak hope to them. You may work in education, and, and you may have students who have questions, and the only answer to the question is what Jesus can do for them. Look for the opportunities that God puts around you. Look for the open doors that God provides for you, because that's when you can be bold in your declaration of the gospel. I'll guarantee you this this morning. If you will anticipate an opportunity, God will provide it. Did you hear that? If you anticipate an opportunity, God will provide it. God is not going to look at his children. He's not going to look at, at, at John Doe. If you're John Doe here, I'm not picking on you. You just have a really bad name. You should get it changed. And he says, well, John Doe, he's asking for an opportunity, but pff, I got enough John Doe's out there doing that. That's, that's, not what, that's not how God operates. You seek an opportunity. God, I guarantee you, will provide it. They boldly declared this gospel because this gospel was a message of grace. They had some good news to share with them. They bore, verse 3 tells us, they bore witness to the grace of God. Yes, we testify to the whole counsel of God. We testify to his judgment and to his righteousness and to his justice. We testify to those things. But the fundamental part of our message is the grace of God. The fundamental word that we speak is the grace of God. Fundamental what we have to offer other people is the grace of God, the grace to know the true God, the grace to be forgiven of sins, the grace to have eternal life. We have a God who loves us. We have a God who sent his only son to die for us, paying our penalty for our sin, who then rose from the grave. This is the word of grace. And when we understand that we have that message how can we do anything other than proclaim it? They were bold in declaring the gospel because they knew it demanded a response. Verse 4 says that the people of the church were divided. It was a Jewish Baptist synagogue, apparently. It's a Baptist city. Some believed, some didn't. This is a pattern throughout the entire book of Acts. The gospel goes forth. Some people receive it and believe. 
Some people reject it and dismiss it. Some people revile it and hate it. Some people love it and welcome it. However, every single person who is confronted with the gospel must respond to the gospel. It demands response. And because of that, we have to be bold in our declaration of the gospel. Paul and Barnabas boldly proclaimed the gospel. Will you follow their example? That's the first attitude they embraced, boldness. And that boldness propelled them to proclaim this gospel. The second attitude that they embraced was humility. In fact, we could say that not only were they bold in their declaration of the gospel, but they were humble in their presentation of the gospel. And something amazing happens in verses 8 through 18. Let me remind you what's happening. Paul and Barnabas, they, they, they fled to Lystra. Lystra was a small town. It was a village about 20 miles southwest of Iconium. And it was just, it was like, I kind of mentioned like my hometown. It was just a, a small town. Life, you did, life just went a little bit slower there. Just a, a good small town with simple folks. And they were just happy to be there. And they go down to Lystra. And there was no synagogue there because it was so small, and so they start street preaching. And they met a man who had been crippled from birth. Somehow the Lord impressed upon Paul the fact that that young man had faith, and Paul told him he was healed. And that felt, notice it didn't say that he slowly rose. It said he, he popped up quick. <laughs> he jumped up and went on about his business. This takes place in front of a bunch of Gentiles. When the Gentiles see it, they declare Paul and Barnabas to be God. They say that Barnabas is Zeus and Paul is Hermes. And they start, don't miss this, they start offering sacrifices to Paul and Barnabas as if they are gods. Let me ask you, you probably don't want to answer this one out loud. What would you have done at that point if you were Paul or Barnabas? If someone came to you and they concluded that you reminded them of a god or a goddess, what would your temp the temptation for you? Wouldn't it be maybe just a little bit to go, <laughs> and if you say no, you're lying through your teeth. <laughs> it, would have, it would have had appeal to the pride within us to have someone go, you must be a God. You're the greatest thing since sliced bread. You're better than chocolate cake. Come on, am I getting with you yet? <laughs> you are to us as gods, and we bring a sacrifice to you. We want to worship you as a God. Paul and Barnabas, their hearts are like ours. They had the temptation to take that glory for themselves. But instead of taking the glory for themselves, verse 15 tells us that they spoke these words. Men, while you're doing these things, we are also men of like nature with you. We're not here to bring you us. We are here to bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. They say, guys, you've got to turn from these vain things and turn to a living God. Paul is calling them to completely reorient their lives and their thinking to this good news because the 
gospel would give them truth instead of error, hope instead of despair, freedom instead of bondage. Understand that we all have the opportunity, everyone in this room, we have the opportunity to take the glory and the credit and the adulation that only God deserves. We need to follow the example of Paul and Barnes. We need to embrace humility as the attitude of our heart as we present what God has done for us. Now we may think that we're more sophisticated than these ancient pagans in this small town, these simple people growing up in this small town. But how many people today are pursuing worthless, vain things, idols that have no power and no life and no eternal value? Oh, there are many of them. Paul and Barnabas seek no glory for themselves, but humbly point people to Jesus. Are you seeking glory for yourself, or is it the desire and the object of your life to humbly point others to Jesus? They had an attitude of boldness in how they declared the gospel. They had an attitude of humility in how they presented the gospel. Number three, they had an attitude of persistence. They, they, they were persistent in their continuation of the gospel. Full transparency. If Jonathan Russell was Paul, this next part would not be in your Bible. <laughs> After all that's happened to them, Paul and Barnabas could have stopped. And if what's about to happen to Paul were to happen to most of us, we would stop sharing the gospel. Paul was stoned in verse 19. That is not taking a pebble and throwing at you. In fact, I've got a video. I'm playing. I don't have a video to show you what that's like. That would not be appropriate in this setting. They are picking up large stones and hurling it. So much so, they all thought he was dead. They drug him out of the city and they left him for dead. The other disciples gathered up, and <laughs> I just looked a bit in there. They gathered up in a circle around him. I don't know if they were kind of like, is he really dead? What's going on? Whatever. What's that with it? But they're kind of looking at him. And there's Paul. He's dead. All of a sudden, Paul gets up. Paul gets up. He dusts himself off. He goes back to, to Lystra, gets him a nap gets up the next morning, pops a couple Advil, and takes off to the next city with the purpose of sharing the gospel. I'm finding a one-way flight back home. <laughs> I mean, he, he is committed to doing this. He is committed to the continuation of the gospel. He is persistent. He's been left for dead, but he says, no, I've got a message about a living Savior, and until I am dead, I'm not going to stop talking about it. So much so that he goes back through every other city that he already passed through. The cities where they had reviled him and rebuked him and persecuted him. He goes back to those cities. How many of us, if, if we go to some place and it's not a warm reception, we're going to be like, all right, GPS says to go this way, but I'm going to find me a different route. Not Paul. Paul says, I'm going to continue. I'm going to go right back and strengthen the churches that we've helped establish on this way. 
Notice that they're persistent in continuing to do what God called them to do, even though they know they're going to face persecution. Paul says in verse 23, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Following Jesus guarantees difficulty, but Paul continued, and so must we. I'll try not to meddle in this next question. But I want you to compare their persistence with what it takes for you and I to give up. Compare their persistence to what it takes for you and I to go, eh, I don't feel like reading my Bible today. I don't feel like praying today. Eh. I'd rather do this today. Even though, God, even though I know God put that person on my heart, uh, even though they're on my list of people to reach out to, uh, it's going to be an awkward conversation. Do we not let those things stop our persistency? And yet here is Paul, here is Barnabas, but especially Paul, beaten to the point of death with large stones and left for dead, still determined to continue with his assignment in living scent. And so when I read what Paul did, man, it convicts me. The Holy Spirit uses it to convict me and to challenge me. And I pray the Holy Spirit will use it to change me What about you? What about your commitment regarding your continuation of the gospel? Are you committed to persist? You see, God may not call me or you to take a missionary journey like Paul did across seas and through different countries. He may, but he may not. Even if God doesn't give us the same GPS coordinates that Paul followed, he gives us the same challenge to share with others what Jesus has done for us. So let's get practical. The attitudes that Paul embraced led to the actions he took. Will you commit yourself today to those same attitudes? Here's what I mean. Again, we're going to get practical and make it a little uncomfortable. Would you, would you this week, starting today, would you ask God to give you an opportunity to share with someone what Jesus has done for you? And when God opens that door, because he will, if you ask him, he will. And when God opens that door, will you walk through it, seizing that opportunity, and be bold in declaring to others what Jesus has done for you? Are you seeking some glory for yourself? Or are you humbly pointing others to Jesus? In fact, go a little bit deeper. Is there even a little little bit of your life that wants some glory for you 
for your own advancement at the expense of the gospel's advance? If so, would you ask Jesus to humble you? He will. He will humble you. I know from experience, asking for humility and receiving an answer to that prayer is much gentler than when you don't ask and God says, I'm going to do it anyway. Because he's going to humble us. Have you given up trying to share with others what Jesus has done for you? Are you no longer as passionate about that calling as you once were? Why don't this morning you ask God to place persistence in your heart so that you'll continue to fulfill your calling? Look, church, we won't travel the same roads that Paul traveled, but God will put us on a path that leads to people who need to see Jesus in us and hear about Jesus from us. Let's get on the road again so that those who are on a path that leads to destruction can be redeemed by Jesus and placed on a path that leads to him. Would you bow with me this morning? As we bow together as I'm about to pray and we're about to have our time of commitment, maybe this morning you have realized that you've been pursuing vain things like these people that Paul encountered. And it's time for you to stop chasing the vain, worthless idols of this world and start pursuing Jesus. Maybe today God's impressed upon your heart the need to have a relationship with this Jesus that Paul loved so dearly and that Paul and Barnabas believed in so much that they would be willing to offer their lives for the advancement of his gospel. If there's ever been a time in your life when you've asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, when I pray in a few minutes, I would invite you to pray to God as best you know how, confessing your sin, repenting of it, and asking Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. So, Pastor, I need to have some questions answered before I can do that. Come down here and say, Pastor, I need to have some questions answered before I can do that. We'll get you somebody this morning. Before you leave today, we're going to help you talk about that, that, that next step. But I also want to challenge those of us in this room today who have made that decision, whether it was a week ago or a decade ago or decades ago. Let's get on the road again. It's easy to get off the track of what God has called us to do. It's easy to veer off and to get sidetracked by things of this world. Would you make a commitment today and ask God to give you opportunities? Ask God to give you boldness. Ask God to give you humility. Ask God to place in your heart persistency to not give up on that person he's placed upon your heart and put in your life. Whatever God's calling you to do today, I would implore you to say yes, to surrender to him, to make a decision today, wherever he leads, to follow him. Father, I thank you that Jesus came and did for me what I could never do for myself. That he came full of grace and mercy, dying for my sin, paying the penalty that I owed so that I could have eternal life. Abundant life on this side of heaven, eternal life on the other side. 
Father, I pray today that you would move and stir in our hearts in a way that would honor and glorify you. I don't know what you're placing upon any one heart other than my own this morning. But I know that you brought us here for a purpose today. I know that everyone who's listening is listening not by accident, but by your design. There is a commitment we need to make. There is a step we need to take. Father, I pray we'd be humble, we'd be bold, we'd be persistent in taking that step today. Have your will and way with us in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.